0: Alright, good evening everyone. Let us, let us begin. So first of all, it's an incredible schus to resume giving this shir, Baruch Hashem. I know it's been a little while. I think our last year was a pre-Pesach, uh, pre-Pesach preparation share with the Haggadah. So Baruch Hashem, now we find ourselves... In the Yemea First of all, Asher tonight is dedicated by the Engelsberg Dinovitzer and Steinberg families. Leilu Nishmas for David Ben Meir Arye Zichron of the We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Shamal Aliyah and the family in Nechama. So I know that this is the re- re- the resumption resuming of our of our Sefer Tehillim series, but the truth is, being that we are but a day away from Lag Omer. I thought that it would be a, a, an incredible opportunity. To shed a little bit of light and to shed a little bit of understanding upon this awesome and incredible and overwhelming day. A day that often kind of goes by without that much notice, but a day that we're going to learn together, Meretz Hashem has incredible kiddushah. And the truth is again, especially in a year like this, where this year Lagba Omer represents the first yard site of the 45 Kiddushim, of the 45 precious Neshamas who lost their lives in Mayron last year an interesting thing because a day that as we're going to see represents the cessation of the death of Rabbi Akiva's students became again a day of another 45 yard sites. And so we come into this Lagva Omer, of course, excited, filled with simcha for the simple reason that a Jew has to come into every experience, excited and filled with simcha, yet at the same time with a little bit of a heavy heart and with a little bit of, a, of, of an overwhelming feeling in terms of what are we supposed to do with this day? How are we supposed to maximize this day? And how could we glean every bit of Kiddushah from this incredible experience? So with that, with that background, I'm going to quote from Sefer Tehillim. So therefore, again, it's a little bit like a Tehillim shir. But I'm going to be focusing really tonight on Lag B'Omer. So let's begin with number one. So the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch writes as follows. Noagim Gimshal is Stapper Lakba Omer. The Minog is, the Minog that we don't take a haircut until Lakba Omer. Shaomrim a'shaaz pasku milamos. Again, this there's a whole discussion here. Why, why don't we go ahead and take a haircut to Lagba Omer? Because again, we'll see on Lagba Omer, Rabbi Ya'kiva's students stopped dying. We'll discuss that in just a moment. If you skip down a little bit, there's a whole discussion exactly. Can you take a haircut on the 33rd day of the Omer, on the 4, 34th day of the Omer? That's not our topic for tonight. Umar Bimbo. if you look at the underlying line, Umar Bimbo Bo Kitzas Simcha. We observe a little bit of Simcha. Right? There's a little bit of joy on this day. And we do not recite Tachnun on this day. So first of all, the formulation itself is quite enigmatic. What's strange about this formulation? What's strange about this wording? What would you say? This is what happens I don't give shir for a long time. Right? So what, what, what's strange? What's strange about that? What's Simcha, right? You should be a little bit happy. Not too happy, not too happy, not too much joy, but just like a little bit of happiness. So first of all, it's strange. Because the truth is Judaism is so much about like objective halachas, objective facts, objective promise, uh, practices. So the notion that there's such an ambiguous word that's, that's used here. We, we go ahead and we enjoy a little bit of simcha. I should say, we intensify our simcha a little bit. And again, we omit certain tefillahs. Okay, so let, let's analyze this a little bit. So the truth is, what the Shulchan Aruch is saying is like this. On one hand, when you look at Lagba Omer, Lagba Omer looks like an ordinary day just like any other day. What the Halacha is trying to sensitize us to because this is a generally important point, which is sometimes when we look at Halacha, when we look at Jewish law, we see Jewish law as a series of do's and don'ts. There are things I'm supposed to do, things I'm not supposed to do, things that are permitted, things that are prohibited. And that's what Halacha is there to tell me. But the truth is, Halacha is also the way in which Chazal, in which the rabbis, conveyed to us a system of ethics and of morals as well. So when Chazal tell us that on Lagba Omer, Marbim bo Kitzas simcha, there's a little bit more simcha, it's Chazal's way of telling us that although it looks like an ordinary day, there's something dramatically amazing unfolding on this day of Lagba Omer. So what is it? So what is it? So in order to appreciate this, we're going to take a little bit of a detour. So we know that there's an interesting practice on Lagavomer, right? What's, what's the common practice on Lagavomer? bonfires. We light bonfires. Now I want to point out to you that the concept of a bonfire does not appear anywhere in Shulchan Aruch. Here, again, I'm not holding anything back from you. Everything that Shulchan Aruch has to say about Lakba Omer is contained in number one. And if you notice, by the way, the entire discussion is really focused on haircutting, right? That's what the whole, in other words, f- from the halachic perspective, what do you do on Lakba Omer? Well, you do three things. Number one, you can get a haircut. Number two, you don't say tachonon. And number three, Marbin bokitsa simcha, a little bit more simcha. No mention of the bonfire. So where does the bonfire come from? If you take a look at number two, and this is incredibly important, the Tam Yamin writes as follows. He writes, Tam Now the truth is, there's another piece. We know that Lag Baomer is also the yard site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We're all familiar. Again, we'll talk about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in just a little bit. But Lag Baomer is the yard site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So says the Tam Yamin Dihine. Now, what does that have to do with anything? So listen to this. So he says, "Tamal Minog Bein Eisos Baar Why is it that? We like we like bonfires. We like fire on Lag BaOmer, which is the Yartet Rosham Bayochai. Y, Number two, second line. Listen to this. Dihine Rabbi Shimon Kishaya Megale Razon Biyomahu B'idra Kaddisha Amar. before we go into this, Rosham Bayochai. Now, let's take a step back. We know that when we look at Torah, there are two parts to Torah. There's Torah Shabiksav, Torah Shabalpa, what we'll call the written law, and the oral or verbal law. The written law is Chamishay Chomishay Torah, that's the written law. The oral tradition, Torah Shabalpa, that's Mishnah, Gemara. Now, again, we, we wonder why is that called Torah Shabalpa? It's all written down as well. It was written down later on in Jewish history. But originally, Torah Shabbal Peh was literally, again, transmitted from student, from Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student, Rebbe to student. That's how it was conveyed. So I'll tell you something amazing. You'll often find in the Gimara stories of great rabbis who are on their deathbed. And, you know, sometimes we have this image when someone's on their deathbed. Right? Think about it. Right? One day we're all going to be on our deathbed. Halavai 120. Right, Who do you want around your deathbed? Don't say who who you don't want around your deathbed, right? Right? Who do you want around your deathbed? Your family, right? That's what we would assume. Every story in the Gemara of a great person on his deathbed, he's always surrounded by his students, which is so strange because you think about this, you want your family. Why are the students there? Because understand that when the Rebbe left this world, so any Torah that he did not pass on to his students went on with him to the world to come. So when the Rebbe was sick, right? When the teacher was sick, there was an urgency on the part of the students to try to extract as much information as possible. Rebbe. Give us all the Torah that's sitting in your Neshama in because if you don't give it to us now, we're never going to get it. So the Zohar describes in striking detail the last day of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's life. So listen to this. This is a, this is a quotation from the Zohar. No, source number two, three lines down. V'zel Hashanah. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, says to his students who are surrounding his death, deathbed, I know today I'm going to leave this world. I know today I'm going to leave this world. And he says, I have so much to convey to you. Now, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the repository for what we call Torah's Hanistar. Hidden Torah. Esoteric Torah. Mystical Torah. That Rabbi Shimon ba Yochai had gotten from his Rebbe and his Rebbe before him. But it was never shared with the masses. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, I have never shared this voluminous amount of esoteric mystical knowledge. So he has all of his students gathered around his deathbed, and he says, And then Rosh Hashem his deathbed said, Son, Son, not S-O-N, not referring to his son, S-U-N, Son, I refuse to let you set until I finish conveying all the Torah I need to convey. And the Zohar records a dramatic miracle that on that last day of Shimon Bar Yochai's life, the sun did not set for hours. Only once Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, I have fully conveyed the entire body of mystical esoteric knowledge, did the sun set. And with the setting of the sun came the death of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Says, says at the time I am in That's why we light bonfires on Lagba Omer. Because the bonfire that we light at night, the bonfire that we light at night is is our way of bringing light into the darkness. Symbolizing that what happened on this day, the 33rd day of the Omer, Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai refused to allow the sun to set and he continued the light, even in what was supposed to be nighttime. He continued the light, Forward and forward, he would not allow the day to end. This says the Tamiyam in Hagim is the symbolism and the meaning behind the bonfires. Now I'll point out. So what happened to that knowledge? What happened to that? Nachrav Ba Bayochai went ahead and conveyed. So what we call today Zohar, what we call today Kabbalah, right? All of these, what I guess what we call colloquially today, Jewish mysticism, right? Jewish mysticism. The source of that. Is all from Rabbi by Yochai and his conveyance of that body of information on his deathbed. That's what happened. That's the bonfire. So the bonfire, again, directly linked to Rashmita. To Rabbi by Yochai didn't allow the sun to set, kept the light going even into the night. We recreate that with our bonfires. But the truth is, we're going to see that the bonfire also has another additional symbolism. Take a look at number three. So this is a famous Gemara. Famous Gimar, Gimar that tells the story of Rabbi Akiva's students. But the truth is, before, people often know the story of Akiva's students, but the introduction to the story is incredibly important as well. Look at number three, Rabbi Yeshua Omer. It's a profound Gimar. Just to give you the backdrop over here, actually the topic of the Gimar, Masakas Yovamas, Yvamah is a complicated Mesechta. Complicated Mesechta. In this particular section over here, it's talking about the Mitzvah of Piri Varevia. The Mitzvah to have children. So the Gemara talks about the Shua Omer, Nosa Adam isha Yisa isha Even if a person married when he was young, he should also marry when he's older. Now, which again, not our topic for, for, for tonight. But an interesting topic, an interesting topic that gets actually to the fundamental core of marriage. Right? Is marriage for procreation or is marriage for companionship? Or is it some type of hybrid? So the Gimara seems to clearly indicate over here that even if a person is no longer having children, the idea of companionship is so important for health and happiness in life. Okay, he goes on. Ha you loban so, you loban bi ziknu so. Even if a person had children when they're young, a person should try to have children even when they're older. Shine Amar quotes over here the beautiful pasik. Baboker Zara Zarecha in the morning, literally meaning it literally means in the morning, sow your field, plant your field, Ula Erev yodecha. But in the evening, don't withdraw your hand. Because in life you never know. What's going to work out? Haze, oze. Will this work out? Will that work out? Vim shneem ke'echad. And if everything you do works out, tovim. Good for you. Good for you. So just a very profound pasach in Koheles. Literally, plant your field during the day. In other words, do things in your youth. But even if you do things in your youth, don't rely on the things of your youth because sometimes the things which we put incredible amounts of effort into aren't sustainable, right? Sometimes things we work very hard on when we're young just simply dissipate and evaporate. So therefore, you have to accomplish in your old age. Sometimes in life, the things I accomplish when, I, accomplish when I'm young indoor. sometimes the things that I do in life with my old age endure. And, but often, what the Gemara is describing is often, often, maybe it's even more than often, no one is successful all of the time. I find that sometimes this is one of the greatest challenges, I feel old by saying this, but that young people encounter today, right? I'm at the age where I could talk about young people. say, say young people, right? There is like this idea that I should always be successful. I should always be successful. And the truth is, there's a lot of reasons for it. It starts from really when like our kids are young and we've somehow fallen prey to this mindset that everyone is a winner And everyone gets a trophy and no one can chas lose. So if you're brought up and you're never taught that sometimes in life you lose, then you don't know how to deal with defeat in life and defeat. We encounter defeat all the time. And it's very affirming because the Gemara says a lot of times you plan things when you're young and they don't work. As long as you plan things when you're old and it doesn't work. So what's the answer? So how do you deal with that? Diversify. Diversify Plant when you're young, plant when you're old, and what's the good news? If you plant when you're young and you plant accomplish when you're young, accomplish when you're old, what's the good news? Something will endure. Not everything, because no one has everything. No one is always successful. But if you accomplish when you're young, accomplish when you're old, something will stick. Something will remain, and that is an accomplished life. And it's so profound. Shalom Aleich is telling us, an accomplished life is not one where you are always successful. Because no one is always successful. An accomplished life is when you push yourself to accomplish in every stage, in every situation. Because if you live a life like that, you will have some accomplishment to your name. The Gemara goes on. Here we go. Rabbi Rabbi Kiva says, Even if you learn Torah when you're young, Right, make sure to learn Torah when you're old. Okay? So what I you which again, on a basic level, on a basic level, even if you have spiritual accomplishments when you're young, make sure to have spiritual accomplishments when you're old. Tamidin if you had students when you were young, lo Make sure to establish more students when you are old. And Rabbi Akiva quotes the same Pasek we just quoted, right? Plant your field in the morning, in the evening, don't withhold your hand, don't pull back your hand, for you never know what will endure. Beautiful. But now the Gemara goes on. Amru, this is the famous Gemara. Shnei masar elef zugim tamidim hayilobu Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students, 24,000 tamidim. Megivas Adan from one end of Eretz Yisrael to the other end of Eretz Yisrael, the And they all died in the same time. Because they did not demonstrate proper covet, proper honor one to the other. Now what exactly that means? What was the nature of their infraction? What did they do wrong? That's not our topic for tonight. Now you have to understand. Rabbi Akiva was the Gadol Hadar. He was the leading rabbi of the generation. His students were the future of the Torah community of Amisra. Twenty-four thousand Talmidim perish. Twenty-four thousand Talmidim simply wholly and fully disappear. Everything disappears. Everything disappears. olum Shamin, the world was absolutely desolate, which means the, the world was spiritually desolate. Until Rabbi Akiva came along to the rabbis in the south, Rabbi Akiva went to the south of Eretz Yisrael and established five new students. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Shimon, by the way, that Rabbi Shimon is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was a student of Rabbi Akiva of Rabbi Elazar Ben Shamua. Five new students, 24,000 students died. Five new students, the Haim HaEmidu Torah Shah. And Rabbi Akiva rebuilt the entire Torah community from these five. The Gemara says, why is this important for us? When did the students die? Between Pesach until Shavuos. Between Pesach until Shavuos. This period of time that we are in now is when the students of Rabbi Akiva died. Now let's go back for just a moment. Shulchan Aruch said, Shulchan Aruch said, why is it that the morning ends on Lagba Omer? Why does the morning end on Lagba Omer? Why? Because the Gemara, is the first, it's the first line in number one, because <laughs> Rabbi Akiva's students stopped dying. Now, why did Rabbi Akiva's students stop dying? Why? Because they all died, right? In other words, it's, it's not the Pshat, it's not the Pshat that like, oh, there was this terrible plague, and then it stopped. They stopped dying because there was no one left. In other words, the last of the 20, the last leva, the last leva of the 20, the twenty four thousand student was on Lag Bomer. That was it. That, 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 that was the end. Which just intensifies our question even more. Because what's going on over here? So again, I guess it's a relief. I guess it's a relief that no one else died. Definitely a relief. But at the end of the day, it's not really a relief. No one else died because there was no one else. To die. So what we're celebrating essentially on Lag Omer is the end, the cessation of the plague which claimed all of Rabbi Akiva's students. So where in Judaism do we see such a celebration like this? That at the end of the day, that we celebrate the end of something bad? In other words, even if you think about it, the Jews, you could say we celebrate Pesach. right? So Pesach, is emancipation. But remember again, we don't simply celebrate the end of servitude. What we celebrate is the beginning of freedom. That's really what we're celebrating. Right? Pesach was celebrating the fact that we could be a free people and we could march up to Sinai. We could have Kabbalah Satora. We're celebrating what can be. Not the cessation of something terrible. We have gratitude for that which was terrible that has ended. But here the Shulchan Aruch is saying we're celebrating like a because Rabbi Akiva's students stopped dying. So what's happening here? One more piece. Take a look at number four. So this is a truly incredible piece in the Be'erah Parsha. Rabbi Lech he writes as follows. He says Ata binu So the Be'erah Parsha says, let's take a look at this. What what is it that happened on Lag BaOmer? Kode ma Pesach Amid Rabbi Akiva <in> Bereshis <Hebrew> Yisheva Shalchav Tamidim Torah. So l- listen to how he frames it. If you would have come to visit Rabbi Akiva on the week before Pesach, right? where would you have found Rabbi Akiva? Where would you have found him? In his yeshiva. And how many them are there in Rabbi Akiva's yeshiva? 24,000. 24,000 students in Rabbi Akiva's yeshiva. I would have to imagine the biggest yeshiva, the biggest yeshiva in all of Eretz Yisrael. Right, learning under the Gadol Hadar. Rabbi Akiva himself was a self made man. And what happens? He goes on a little bit. And then right as Pesach starts, right as Pesach starts, the tamid begin to die. And again one after the other after the other. Now you have to understand something. Rabbi Akiva wasn't just a Rebbe to his students, he was a father. He was a father figure. Which means, because Rabbi Akiva knew what it meant to grow up without a father, because he didn't have a father, right? Rabbi Akiva didn't have a supportive family network. Remember again, Rabbi Akiva was lucky to have a supportive wife. That's that's what he had, and he had a father-in-law who came around like a little bit later. Rabbi Akiva knew what it was like to not have a support network. So Rabbi Akiva is at every single levaya; he's going to every single shiva home. He's comforting how many isomim, how many orphans are there from twenty-four thousand men who pass away? How many orphans? How many widows? So Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva is going to Levias, going to Shiva homes, right, comforting widows and orphans. So the Baraparasha writes, he says, Harial Pitava enoshi, Haya Velomar Humina Shamayim. You see, if you were going to script how Rabbi Akiva would behave in the aftermath of this tragedy, what would you have assumed he would have done? What would you have assumed? Give up, right? Close up shop, right? Too much, too much. I spent my life, and by the way, it's even more profound because remember again, Rabbi Akiva is the ignorant shepherd at age 40 who builds himself up from nothing. He starts as a nothing, builds himself up into a something, builds a yeshiva, building Kalalisa, building Talmidim, and now again, at an advanced age, everything comes tumbling down. Everything comes tumbling down. Human nature, Rabbi Akiva would say, okay, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. You know, someone younger and more able, a bit more energy could come and pick up this endeavor. But I'm, I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. That's what we would have expected. The Lomar, Simon Minash, to say, you know what? Obviously, it's a simon from Hashem. You know, it's interesting how we interpret different things that happen in life as signs from God. I always tell people, don't try to interpret signs from God. Because at the end of the day, it's like you're coming to Shir and your car won't start. You know, so oh, it's a sign from Hashem that I'm not supposed to come to the Shear. Or maybe Hashem just wants you to walk a little more. You know, I don't know. Yeah, how do you, you know, how do you interpret that? That's my in life it's good not to try to interpret signs from God. We don't know what God is. We have to try to figure out what to do. Cheshbarachu gives us signs all the time. Shaila just says, could we read them correctly? Rabbi Keikh, could have said, listen, 24,000 students died. That's a pretty good sign that a Cheshbarachu is no longer interested in what I have to offer. At the end of the day, do you understand what Rabbi Akiva did? Do you understand what Rabbi Akiva did? I I think that this may be one of the most profound acts of spiritual heroism in the history of our people. This was replicated after the Holocaust as well. But Rabbi Akiva loses everything. And by the way, everything is not just like hyperbolic. Everything. Everything. But chooses to pull it together, chooses to roll up his sleeves, and start rebuilding again. Start rebuilding again. So the truth is, now we begin to gain a little bit of an insight into the simcha of Lag Baomer. What is the simcha of Lag Baomer? What is the simcha of this day? What is the joy of Lag Baomer? The joy of Lag Baomer is the incredible joy that comes from when you understand the resilience of the human experience. You know how life works? We think we're fragile. And it's amazing. We think we're fragile until when? Until when? Until we realize that we're not. Right? Until life hits us over the head, which often happens, and until we're tested with overwhelming circumstances and, like, oh, I'm still standing. If you would have asked me, could I survive something like this? Could I deal with it? I told you, no way. Now, I mean, I don't have that kind of inner strength. I'm not the kind of, I was just having this conversation with my children. Always have good conversations right before carpool in the morning. And I'm not always quite awake enough to have like deep theological conversations. But this is actually on Yom HaShoah. So I don't one of my daughters was asking me. She said to me, you know, Tati, I, I think that if I lived through what, you know, my grandparents were survivors. I think if I lived through what Bobby lived through, I could have never done what she did. I said, She you have to understand something. If before the war, you would have asked Bobby, can you survive Auschwitz? Can you survive Mauthausen? Could you survive a death march and you would describe to her those things? She would have said, There's no way I could survive it. Right? But she did. She did. Because the incredible thing about life is that we're much more resilient than we think we are. We're much stronger than we think we are. We're much more capable than we think we are. But like many things in life, it only comes out in the midst of crisis. The simcha of, Ravi, uh, of, of Lagba Omer is the simcha of knowing that you could handle whatever life throws at you. That no matter what the circumstances are, I may get bruised, I may get battered, I may fall down or I may be pushed down, but at the end of the day, I will somehow find a way to manage it. I will find a way to deal with it. I will find a way to keep my head above water. Lest you say impossible, how do you know? Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is our role model who teaches us that even when everything you built comes tumbling down, if you dig deep within yourself, you will find the courage to rebuild. That is the power of Lag Bomer. Now we understand what the Shulchan Aruch said. Because remember again, what was our problem with the wording of the Shulchan Aruch? How did the Shulchan Aruch, the backing number one, had the Shulchan Aruch describe Lag Bomer, the underlying line? Omer bin Bo, Kitsas Simcha. Because is, La- is Lag Bomer like a fun and lighthearted Simcha day? No. No. It's a heavy day. It is a heavy day. It's a day in which Rabbi Shomayachah left this world. It's the day in which Rabbi Akiva's students stopped dying. But it's the day, and also we are reminded of this incredible lesson, that we each possess Rabbi Akiva's strength. We each possess Rabbi Akiva's prowess. We each possess this ability to get back up, even when we are knocked down. Now, I want to be clear. When you're knocked down in life and you get back up, once you get back up, is it the same as it was before? No, we know it's not, right? It wasn't the same, right? Rabbi Akiva finds five new Talmudim, fantastic, five new Talmudim, everything is great, hunky-dory, right? right? Everything is fantastic. No, it wasn't. Rabbi Akiva had a broken heart, and I guarantee you that heart never fully healed until the day that he died. Because sometimes you undergo things in life, and it changes you, and it fundamentally changes you. But That's life. That's life. We don't stay the same, we're not supposed to stay the same, and we get changed. We are changed by the events through which we must experience throughout the journey of life. I can't avoid changing, but I can't be resilient enough to remain standing no matter what occurs. That's the kitzas simcha. That's the little bit of joy, the little bit of additional joy. Because think about it. Isn't it such an incredible thing to know? Even if I don't fully believe it, but at least I know. Sometimes in life you know things, but you don't believe them. I know that I have Rabbi Akiva's strength. Now, whether I believe it or not is a different story, Mm -hmm. right? But doesn't that give you like a little bit of joy, a little bit of joy, a little bit of chizik to know that you know what? Rabbi Akiva resides inside of me. Rabbi Akiva lives in me. Rabbi Akiva's strength is in me. I can handle it. Whatever challenges I'm dealing with, I'll find a way ultimately to deal with it in, in, in the right way. I can do it. That's kitzas Simcha. That's the little bit of Joy of Lag Baomer. That's part one. But we still have to circle back a little bit. So remember again, what about Reb Shom BaYachai? Because right? remember again, we also said that Rashbi. Reb right? Shom BaYachai ultimately again passed away on Lag Baomer. So again, we saw that his death, his death opened the door to the sharing of... The esoteric, mystical, mystical Torah. So what do we do with that? So I want to show you something absolutely amazing. And this will be the last part of tonight's year. I, it's all in Hebrew. I don't have a translation for it, but we'll do it together. And you're going to see it's a transformative story. It's a story. L- look what he writes. This is the story of Rabbi Bayochai. Now, this is a, of Rabbi Shuram by Yochai. Even, now, I want to point out, we know very little about Rabbi Shoram by Yochai's family. We know that his father's name was? Excellent. Good, Yochai, right? Good. Excellent. But other than that, we, we, we don't, in other words, Rabbi Shoram by did not come from a rabbinic family, did not come from Talmud Dechachamim. His father may have actually, according to some historical accounts, been close with the Romans. We're going to see, they were, he was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. But ultimately, again, not, not a rabbinic, rabbinical family at all. So watch this. So, Yochai was married to his wife. And for many years, they did not have children. So, they made a decision, Yochai and his wife, that they were going to divorce. They were going to divorce. Whatever it is, we didn't have Mazel to have children together. So, maybe again, we'll find better luck, better Hatzlacha with, with a new husband, new wife. So, they decided to, they decided to, to divorce. <inaudible> so Yochai was ready to get divorced, but his wife was not. His wife was not, and she cried bitter tears about this for many, many days. Okay, second paragraph. Belal Rosh Hashanah, Yochai b'chalomoh, Shehine, who Malay, ate him. So get ready for this. On the night of Rosh Hashanah, Yochai had a dream. What was his dream? He's standing in a field of trees. Big trees, little trees. And Yochai sees himself standing by a small, a sapling, a small sapling that had not produced any fruit. Then he sees an angel walk into the orchard, walk into the field with a with a bucket, a barrel filled with water. And what happens? The angel is going over to certain trees, and he's watering some of the trees. Yochai then realized what he was seeing in his dream. What was he seeing in his dream? So the trees represented children who were going to be born. And the malach coming along with his water, his pouring on the water represented the children who were going to come into the world this year. When the Mallo came to Yochai's sapling, Hosi Hamko, theagaza. So the maluch took out a little flask of water from right, took out a little flask of water, and watered Yochai's tree with the flask and not the barrel. <speaking in> hime <Hebrew> parava. And in front of his eyes, Yochai saw that his sapling began to grow. So, what happened? Take if So, when he woke up, Yochai realized that the dream he just had foreshadowed the fact that he and his wife were going to be blessed with a child that year. So, watch this. He told his wife the dream. So, this is how amazing this is. Who was their Rav? Yochai was not a Tamut Chacham. So it wasn't his rebbe. Who was his rav? Who should did they daven by? Vilnigis of Rabbi Akiva, right? So they, they, they daven, right? They Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva. Was the rav? Rabbi Akiva was the rav. So they went to Mitzraye Rashana. They go to Rabbi Akiva. They tell him the dream. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said the dream foreshadows the fact that they are going to have a son this year. So incredible. So Yochai. Yochai, and you know, here's often where you see there's seen men and women, right? So Mrs. Yochai is, okay, let's go, let's go. Right? Yochai has like questions on the dream, right? So he says, Rabbi, can I just ask you, So Yochai says, Rabbi Akiva, can I ask you, in my dream, the Malach watered everyone else's sapling from a barrel. But my sapling, our sapling, he watered from the flask. Why is that? Rabbi Akiva, zu hadima, asher That flask was filled with your wife's tears. And that sapling was watered, not with the same water that everyone else had, but with the tears, the heart tears, the heartfelt tears that your wife had shed over those many years. And the merit of those tears, not in your merit, not in your merit, but in the merit of your wife's tears, you will bring into the world a great tree. You will bring into this world the Ilana Ravrava. Sheheir, as Vuhu Rashbi. And this is Rabbi by Ba So Rabbi Shon comes into this world because his very inception, right? His, his very beginning was watered with tears. And there's a strong common denominator here between Rabbi Shon Ba and Rabbi Yaquiva. Both are men who came from pain. Who came from pain. Rashbi came into this world because again, his very Neshama was watered by his mother's tears. His very neshama grew because of the pain that his parents so acutely felt because of those years of infertility, because of those years of not having this bracha that so many of us take for granted. Rabbi Akiva comes into the world with pain also. right? Rabbi Akiva grows up without a supportive family network. Remember again, Rabbi Akiva was looked at as an absolute zero a zero. You know the story, right? Rabbi Akiva gets married to Rachel, the daughter of Kalba Savua. What, by the way, Kalba Savua is Rachel's father. Strange name, right? What does Kalba Savua mean? Satiated dog. It's not popular names for boys, right? Not, not then, not now, right? He was called Kalba Savua because he was such a big baltstaka that any pauper who came into his home as hungry as a dog, you would walk out full. Yet he would not give a penny to his daughter and her big zero of a husband. That's how much Rabbi Akiva was marginalized. That's how much Rabbi Akiva was looked at as. A, can you imagine that? There are plenty of people who don't like their son-in-law. Right? It happens. It happens. Right? But at the end of the day, you put on a good face. Right? You're nice because married to my daughter. Uh, good. Right? Plenty of ways. Plenty of ways to just fake it. Right? Nothing. He wrote off his own daughter. He wrote off his own daughter because Rabbi Yekiva is away at Yeshiva. Rachel, right, to support herself becomes a housekeeper. Right? She's hired by the other Jewish women to do housekeeping. You know what women used to say to said, Rachel, Rachel, you know he's not coming home, right? You know he's not coming home. He's telling you that he's in Yeshiva. He's not coming home. He's never coming home. He married you for the money. The money didn't come through. He's out of here. You need to find a way to get your life back on the rails and move on. He's not coming back. And then Rabbi Akiva does come back. And he's Rabbi Akiva. And he builds a whole life. 24,000 Talmudim. And then everything, everything, in the course of 33 days, comes tumbling down. Everything. Everything. Rabbi Shimon Bayochai comes from tears. Rabbi Akiva comes from tears. And both of these men's stories kind of intersect. And by the way, it intersects even more. Intersect on Lagba Omer. Because what happened on Lagba Omer? The students died. Students stopped dying because they all died out. And what does Rabbi Akiva do right after the last levaya? What does he do after the last levaya? He goes to find five new students. Right after the levaya On Lagba Omer itself. Rabbi Akiva goes to find five new students. And amongst those students, who did he find? None other than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai become Talmud and Rabbi, like a father and a son. And it all intersects on Lag Baomer. Two men who came from so much pain, Rabbi Shimon Ba'echai came from pain even before he was aware of what had occurred. Rabbi Akiva was still limping with the pain of such profound loss. But these two men find each other and they remind one another that no matter how much pain life inflicts upon you, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be, no matter how many things that you have built have come tumbling down, find the courage to build again. Because sometimes it's that which you build after you've lost everything that truly endures. And perhaps, this is the message of the bonfire as well. We saw the Tamiyam and Hagim that said, we saw the Tamiyam and Hagim that said that the reason we do the bonfire is to remember the fact that I wish would not let the sun set. Maybe the bonfire also teaches us the following. That sometimes the greatest light comes out of darkness sometimes the greatest light comes out of darkness sometimes the greatest things that we accomplish is in the aftermath of stinging defeat sometimes it's when life brings us to our knees and sometimes when the things that we thought were solid were dependable would endure are no longer there and we feel like we have no wind left in ourselves but then we push ourselves just to build a little bit more. Those things that we build in the aftermath of defeat, in the aftermath of failure, in the aftermath of failing, sometimes those are the greatest things we construct in life. Sometimes the greatest light comes after or out of darkness. You know, it's amazing. You could build that same bonfire during the day, right? And what's the effect of it? What's the effect of it? I impressed, no one even cares. Right. No one besides the fire department will even stop to take another look at it, right? But it's amazing. You build, we're going to have a bonfire here tomorrow night, we're going to build that bonfire at night, and it's brilliant. It's amazing. But it's only amazing because it's set against the backdrop of night. Because sometimes the greatest accomplishments we have are so great because they come in the aftermath of defeat. They come in the aftermath of failure. And I think this is the incredible Yisod of Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer is not a regular day of Yom Tiv. It's not a regular celebratory day like Parach Hashem we have so many of. Lagba Omer is as the Shulchan Aruch says, the day of Noah, Ginnbon, Kitsas, Simcha, a day of a little bit of joy. A little bit of joy. But it's that little bit of joy that perhaps is the most important joy that any of us could experience. The joy of knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to be Okay that no matter what happens, I'll get back up. That no matter what happens, no matter how much darkness, I can still light my fire. No matter how much pain, I can still rebound. No matter how many tears I shed, those tears often water the soil of future accomplishment. The joy of Lag Baomer is the joy of knowing that inside each of us resides Rabbi Akiva, inside each of us resides the power of Yochai. And that power, that koach, is there for us to access whenever we are a little bit down and out in life. So we should be zochem, heretz Hashem. Halavai, our life should only have peaks and no valleys. But that would be a bracha levatala, right? Because there is no such thing as a life of only peaks without valleys. It should be mostly peaks, right? And mostly brachas and mostly simchas. But when we find ourselves in the valley of life, you could draw... On the koach of Lagba Omer, even on the 34th day of the Omer, even on the 42nd day of the Omer, even on the 9th of Av, even on the 5th of Elul, because this koach resides in us each and every day. It's on Lagba Omer that we recognize it, it's on Lagba Omer that we celebrate it, but that reminds us that we have the koach to access it whenever it is needed. We should be zolcha miretz Hashem to light that fire, and in Meretz Hashem, allow that fire to guide our way in the days and the weeks and in the years to come. Shabbat, everyone.